pray. Father, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you for your word that you sent him to us and that you delivered us, that you healed us. Father, that Jesus himself is our example and uh, of you in the flesh. Father, we thank you for uh, that he came, and when he came, that he set us free from the power of the devil, that when he came, that he caused new life to enter into the world, and that by him we receive that new life, we receive your life, we receive your nature, we receive your deliverance and your ability, and that we begin to see things with your vision. Father, I ask today as we approach your word and as we yield to your spirit, Father, I thank you that he lives on the inside of us, that he leads, he guides, He directs, He shows, He reveals. And Father, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice that each one of us, Father, would have ears to hear, that the ears of our spirit would be open to hear what You're saying to us, and that the eyes of our spirit, that You would open them up, Father, that we would yield to You and look to You in such a way that we're able to see and to hear what You're saying, what You're revealing, what You're showing. Father, thank You that the entrance of Your Word, when Your Word gets, gains entrance into our hearts, that it brings direction, it brings life, it changes everything. Father, I thank you for your word, that your word gives us life itself, himself. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for demonstrations and manifestations of your spirit, not only here, but especially, Father, in the lives of those that are listening, in the lives of those that are seeking, in the hearts of those that are hungry. Father, I thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you that you are good and that you are merciful every day in every way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, we're going to begin with 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Or you could say, while we don't get distracted by the things that we see with our natural eyes, or that we hear with our natural ears, all of the thoughts of man, the Bible says that there are many voices in the world and none of them lack significance. In other words, while we're not moved by these things, I like Smith Wigglesworth, he said, I'm not moved by what I feel, I'm not moved by what I see, I am moved only by what I believe. And I believe God, right? In other words, what God says, that's what I allow to move me. That's the one thing that will direct my life is what he says. I'm not going to allow the circumstances that, that can change and do change all of the time. I'm not going to let those circumstances dictate the direction and the course of my life. Imagine if Paul had done that. If he said, you know, as long as everything's going, is going good, I know that's the plan of God and the path of God. Well, he never would have reached all of the people that God had anointed and called him to reach. He never would have gone before Caesar because God said, you must stand before Caesar. But he would have said, no, there's too much uh, destruction in this path. It can't be God. There's too many difficult things because if it's God, we all know it's easy peasy. No, not really. It's not smooth sailing all the time. Sometimes there are rough waters, but in the rough waters, if you look to the master, you can actually walk on the rough seas. You can walk like Peter did when he looked to Jesus. He said, you know what? You just speak the word. As soon as you speak the word, I know I have solid ground to walk on. In other words, I know that as if I can get your word on it, what I see, what I feel, what my emotions communicate to me in, in the earth realm, in the midst 
of a devastating, death-dooming storm that I will rise above it. Because not because of me, but because I need you to say those words. As soon as you said those words, Jesus, as soon as you speak those words, this changes everything. Your words cause me to rise above the things that the world system and nature itself would bring against me. In other words, you receive one word from God. If you hear in your heart one word from God, the second that you hear it, faith is present. Now you just act. In other words... You know, you, your faith, my faith, it connects us with God himself. We are never, the Bible does not tell us to have faith in faith, right? That we don't say, whoa, faith is amazing. Your faith does not make you well. Your faith does not heal you. Somebody said, well, how, how can that be? Because Jesus said to the woman, uh, you know, uh, with the issue of blood, your faith has made you well. Well, yeah, her faith connected her to the healer, to Jesus, and to the healing power of God. So we're not looking at faith as an object. The object of our faith is Jesus himself. Our faith is in a person, and his name is Jesus. In other words, our reliance is is in the person of Jesus. We're not to rely on any natural human. We're to rely on Jesus Christ himself and on his Father, who happens to be our God and our Father, God the Father, through his Son, Jesus Christ. No, Jesus is the door. I mean, excuse me, faith is the door to God and to Jesus. And Jesus is the door to God. Right? So we have faith in God. Jesus didn't say in Mark eleven twenty two, have faith in faith. Right? Well, uh, you understand because the Bible talks about faith and the effects of faith that you can understand like, wait a second, faith, you know, God has all of these gifts and he is good. But to access his goodness, you only access it by faith. But what is faith? Faith is relying on God. And if you're going to rely on God in order to have him be your sole source that you rely upon, that, um, that requires you to release your trust in other things, that you're not going to trust in yourself and what you could do, what you could accomplish. If you've been alive longer than about two days, you probably know that you cannot accomplish it. You cannot produce it right? But um, unless you're walking in, in, in severe deception, and then we just plead the blood of Jesus over you, that the entrance of his word gives light. The word of God that you hear today will actually break that deception off of your eyes, that you'll actually begin to see the way that God sees. You'll see yourself the way God sees you. And even more importantly, you'll see Jesus the way that God sees Jesus and the way that God has revealed him to you. And so that those, those um, scales that maybe are upon your eyes or that cloud that the devil himself has put in front of you, that that cloud has no power when it comes in contact with the very word of God. It's like the sunlight shining in a valley where there's fog. That fog has to leave and has to disappear in the light. In other words, the light causes that darkness to flee. Those blinders that are put upon you so you can't see and you can't know, those blinders are removed in the light of the glory and grace of Jesus Christ himself. So let's give this just a little context while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary or subject to change, but the things which are not seen, those are eternal or they're of the same substance that God himself is or those things are outside the realm of time 
time and you just saw in Jesus, you saw eternity manifested in time or shown up in time and you saw the life and the nature of God. But if we go back to verse 1 of chapter 4, therefore seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. Maybe if you're fainting, you've never received the mercy that God so freely has given in Jesus. Maybe if you're fainting, it's an indication that you haven't actually turned whole, wholly and totally in faith to Jesus so that you could receive His mercy. Hebrews says, let us approach the throne of good love gifts from God that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. In other words, let us boldly come to the throne. Let us with boldness. Why can we boldly come? We can boldly come to the throne because we know He's going to give us mercy because He is mercy and He is merciful and His mercies are new every single day. In other words, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, really the Holy Spirit through the writer of Hebrews is saying, you can come boldly even when you messed up, even when you feel like if you look at the temporary things or the things that are subject to change, you feel unworthy. You feel like you don't belong. Well, that just is an indication that you're looking at the things which are seen, not the things which are not seen. Because the things which are not seen, God said, you come boldly. If you mess up, you come boldly to the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in your time of need. When you need mercy, when you need the goodness of God, when you need the, the grace of God, the graces of God, when you need that in your life, well, who, who is it that doesn't need it? I'll tell you who doesn't need it. There are some people who don't need it. You are very special people. And the Bible calls you self-righteous. Right? I have produced it myself. I don't need to turn to the Lord. You know, I think I'm doing pretty good. I don't think I need... Somebody said, you know, um, lack of prayer is one of the greatest indications of pride. A lack of prayer. Why? Well, I can do it myself. I don't need to rely upon God. Why, why should I have to pray? He said he already did it. Why do I even have to ask? Well, you have to ask because he told you to ask. Be an obedient child. Actually, I'm kind of studying a, uh, for later. I'm studying, um, I'm in the midst of a study uh, on uh, faith, obedience, and righteousness. And it is interesting that actually if you act in faith, that means that you're obeying. Okay, that's just a little teaser for later. All right. Um, so as we have obtained mercy, we faint not. We faint not. So if you're fainting, in other words, if you're feeling a weakness come over you, I don't think I can do this anymore. This is too much pressure. Well, right, you should just stop trying to do it, and you should, you should just obtain mercy and say, Lord, I need mercy. But have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, King James says. Literally, in the margin of my Bible, well, it has a little number three next to dishonesty, and in the margin of my Bible, it says the hidden things of shame. We have renounced the hidden things of shame. Listen for a second to what he says shame produces. Not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. That is so good. In other words, you know what? And Paul said in another place, it's no big deal to me that you would judge me. God himself will be my judge. God himself will vindicate me. But he's saying right here, he's saying commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. In other words, 
uh, he said in another place, he said, God is my witness whom I serve in my spirit in the gospel of his son over in Romans. God is my witness. In other words, God will testify for me. God will tell you, you look to the inside. God will tell you if this is from him or not. God will tell you if those are his words. He should certainly know if those are his words, right? So he said that this shame, if you do not renounce shame, you'll find yourself walking, walking in craftiness that you're trying to like manipulate and you're trying to control and you're trying to cause all these things to come to pass. And, and not only that, that you're handling the word of God deceitfully. In other words, the Lord will even be speaking to you by his word, but you'll use his word similar to how the devil himself uses his word, uses the word of God where he's doing it deceptively and in deceit. In other words, you try to use the word to prove that you're right, or you try to use the word to cover your shame, right? Uh, because shame will produce in your life, shame will produce craftiness. Shame will produce deception. So you don't want to deal with shame. You don't want to be a shame dealer or a shame peddler, and you don't want anything to do with shame. You never really want to say shame on you, right? Yeah, shame is a big deal. And uh, let's look at that just real quick. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, well, I'm going to read for context, verse 1 uh, through 3. Wherefore, or therefore, or because of everything I just said. What did he just say? Well, he did Hebrews chapter 11, which is the great, what we like to call the hall of fame of faith. If you want to see some amazing things that were accomplished by faith, Look in Hebrews chapter 11, and if you want to just know like you can live by faith, just like they live by faith, just look at the people in Hebrews 11 that live by faith. They had some pretty messed up lives. So just because things around you may be messed up doesn't mean actually that's the perfect time to walk in faith. That's the perfect time to live by faith. In other words, if, if you're like, man, I am so messed up, I obviously could not be in the hall of fame. No, you qualify. Because why? Well, sometimes people that... that uh, end up finding themselves in self-righteousness. In other words, they're trying to produce their access to God or be good enough to get to God. They will not partake of faith because they have trained themselves to live by their own power, that to, to be animated and actuated by what they could come up with and what they could think. But the life of faith is a life that relies totally and wholeheartedly on God and on Jesus and what he has done in Jesus. And that you're so amazed and so thankful that he would love someone just like you. Amen. He loves you. He paid a price for you. In other words, did you know actually that the words that you're hearing right now it is ordained of God that you hear these words, that these words would gain entrance into your heart. Because if you ever open your heart to the words that he has spoken, these words will produce God's life in you and in your situation. If, if, you, if you yield yourself and if you open yourself up to what he has said, it'll grab hold of you. I love uh, T.L. Osborne, man, uh, you know, just a, a world evangelist has gone on to be with the Lord now. But I remember him telling us he was over in um, uh, overseas and he was in a country that was predominantly Muslim. And so they didn't like having gospel crusades in the Muslim nation for some reason. And, um, you know, I kind of like what he said. I'm going to give two, two quotes from him, from him, apparently. One of the things he said is he's like, I just want to go tell those leaders sometimes, thank you so much. 
Thank you that you believe in the power of Jesus so much and the power of the gospel so much. And he said, they're going to be like, what are you talking about? He said, well, you obviously believe in it so strongly. You feel like you have to legislate it out. You have to make laws against it. So you must really be afraid of it because if you think it has no power, why are you making a law against it? Right? Why? Because it has power, and whether their head is conscious of it or not, their heart knows because every heart has been made to serve God and to be part of God's family, whether they recognize it or not. Well, anyhow, so they had all the police in this nation. Uh, he, he would have a lot of open-air crusades. Uh, in other words, open-air meetings where he would preach the gospel, and the power of God would fall because the power of God accompanies the preaching of the gospel. And so when he'd preach the gospel, man, people would be healed. Boom, 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 boom. And so he was having one of these meetings and the police were there and there was one particular policeman. He was a Muslim policeman. And so uh, he followed Allah. And so he was like, I don't want anything to do with that. But because uh, they allowed them to have it, but they wanted to make sure they didn't speak against, you know, their God or anything like that. The police had to be there. And that guy, he made the mistake of listening to the word that was spoken. And Jesus got a hold of his heart and he became a born again believer and he became a gospel preacher and he ministered for God because why? He opened his heart to what God had said. So uh, maybe things seem strange to you when you hear the gospel. That's okay. You just keep listening because uh, one of these times that word is going to gain entrance to your heart. And when it does, it produces the very life of God and it produces the vision of God. And you begin to see the way that God sees. All right. Hallelujah. Okay, so Hebrews 11, great faith hall of fame. Then we're going to go over to Genesis in just a second. Um, I'm saying that because I'm building a road so I don't forget to go there. Wherefore, seeing we are about, we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. In other words, those are the great faith men and women who have gone before us and they lit their torch uh, with a flame of faith and they live by faith and they saw God do things that were impossible with mankind beyond the realm of the temporary actually eternal things came into being because they connected to the eternal God and the eternal power of God by their faith, right? And so, uh, so because we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, imagine what they would say to you today if you could hear them speak. Imagine what they'd say to you, young man or young woman. Imagine what they'd say to you, old man or old woman. In other words, you're never too young and you're never too old. What would they say if they had another chance to be here? What would they say? How would they tell you to run? I know how they tell you to run. They say, go all out for God, get on fire for God, and people come watch you burn. Amen. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience. Uh, that's the Greek word hoopamon. In other words, that is standing power when the storm comes that you just set your feet set steady and solid, and you turn into the storm, and you say, all right, bring it on. Because he that it's in me is greater than he that's in the world. And I will not be defeated by this storm, but actually because of my faith in God and because what he's doing in my life and I'm yielding to him and allowing him to live in me and through me, he will turn this storm that seems like defeat, he will turn it into victory. And he will cause me to rise above it and it will not dominate me and it will not destroy me. But actually the thing that the devil intended to destroy you and the thing that the devil intended to 
to get you off track and to get you distracted. God will take that thing when you yield to him and he'll turn it and he'll make you stronger. You'll have more character, more standing ability, stronger faith, and you'll be rising above and above and above. And just like the word says, you are more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ or through your faith in Jesus Christ or through your union with Jesus Christ, because in your union with Christ, you're not limited just to your own natural ability, but you have a nature from God himself that flows down from the very throne of all authority and all power, and that nature flows into your nature and becomes your very nature. In fact, your life becomes washed away and hidden away in Christ Jesus, so much so that you can say, just like Paul said, you know what, I've looked and I've seen I'm no longer living, but it is God that's living in me, Christ that lives in in me, the anointed one and his anointing is living in me through my faith in him that connected me to his life so much so that now he has free flow and free access. In fact, Jesus said he came to live on the inside of you. In other words, he made his home on the inside of you or his headquarters is now living on the inside of you. And he makes authoritative decisions from headquarters. And he said, go to this place and grab this one out of the very flames of hell and cause them to come into life that it really is or life that is eternal, right? So while we lay aside all of these sins that so easily grab hold of us, all of these distractions, you know, sometimes if you commit a sin, um, not when, but if you commit a sin, that thing, the devil is not content. He is not satisfied just to say, oh, look, I made you sin. Oh, no, you, you look, someone, someone, someone uh, you know, commits suicide, for instance. Well, what happens? Every single one of that, those family members, pretty much, every single one of those friends, oh, uh, what did I say? Or what could I have said? What, in other words, the guilt and the shame that came on that person uh, you know, that caused them to do that act, the, the guilt and the shame that came on them, the devil doesn't just want it to destroy them. He wants it to destroy every person that that person has come in contact with because he just tries to imitate what God does, that the life of Jesus that comes into one person, one man, one woman, how much difference could you make if you actually lived for God? If you actually lived like you believed that the Bible was true, what would you see? You want to see the scenery change? You believe the word of God and you speak what you believe. In other words, you declare a thing and it will be so and it will come to pass. Why? Because Jesus said, have faith in God or lay hold of the faithfulness of God. I feel like I got a hold of a fire hose and I can't even, I'm just trying to grab hold of it, right? Jesus said, lay hold of the very faith of God. You grab hold of that faith. In other words, it's not about you. It's not about what you could accomplish. It's not about what you did, whether bad or good, but it's about him and what he did that we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. In other words, mm, um, let, let's go there. Looking to Jesus, verse 2, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, this is Hebrews 12, 2, um, endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. It says he despised the shame. And I was reading after Rick Renner. If you don't have his sparkling gems, they're amazing. You know, great studies from the Greek. He's a wonderful, uh, Holy Ghost-filled man of God who the Lord sent over to the nation of Russia, the people uh, over there, sent him over there. And man, he's just, uh, the Lord's really using him. Praise God. Anyhow, uh, I was reading after him and he said that this shame, and I never knew this, he said, when Jesus was on the cross, he said, if you look at the pictures and the, and the uh, statues of Jesus on the cross, that all of those pictures, all those statues have some type of cloth covering his crotch, right? But know that in that time, the Romans, they would strip you butt naked. 
and it's very shameful. And that Jesus, at the thought of this, recoiled. That this caused him just to, oh, he despised that shame. He's like, I want nothing to do with that. But for the joy that is set before me, I'm going to go through it. I am going to be, I'm going to have that kind of shame. And imagine that kind of shame. Imagine that kind of shame. If your body was put up on a cross for the whole community to see, and you're stripped naked, and not only are you stripped naked, but you're beaten to a pulp, and you are bleeding or whatever, and people can walk by and see that. His own mother was at the foot of the cross watching her naked son uh, be beaten and destroyed and humiliated. And he said, I did that to take that off of you. Imagine any time shame's tried to come on you. That shame does not belong to you. We are to live a shameless life. That's what we titled today's message is shameless life. We are to live a life free from shame that the devil would try to put on you, that the devil would try to uh, latch around you, that you would just be full of shame. But Jesus did not despise the shame, but is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. All right, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go uh, jump over... Um, to uh, Romans chapter 9, verse 33. I'm probably just going to paraphrase uh, Genesis chapter 3 in just a second. Um, uh, but Romans 9, 33 in the NTMS translation, they, they might not have this one. They struck their foot against a stone which lay in their way in agreement with the statement of Scripture. See, I am placing on Mount Zion a stone for people to stumble at and a rock for them to trip over. And yet, he whose faith rests upon it shall never have reason to feel ashamed. He whose faith rests upon that stone, that stumbling stone, he whose faith rests upon it will never have a reason to feel ashamed. Who is he talking about? He is talking about Jesus, the stumbling stone for those. Let's, I'm going to turn over there in, in, in um, my real Bible. No, I'm just kidding. Romans chapter 9, as it's written, verse 33, this is King James, as it's written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. Whoever believes on Jesus shall not be ashamed, or shame will be removed when you believe on Jesus. When you look to Jesus, shame will be removed. Remember he said here, uh, verse 1 of chapter 10, which we went through last week, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, are going about to establish their own righteousness, having not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. Christ is the end of the law uh, for righteousness to everyone that believes. In Christ, you don't, have to, you don't have to try to be good. You don't have to say, okay, now uh, I've done enough good things uh, that maybe God will like me. Maybe God will accept me. No, actually, Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, I have come that you might have life and that you would have it 
to the full or more abundantly or in abundance or that you would have real life or life that really is. That's the whole reason I came. Do you know that Jesus did not come into the world to make bad people good? All the other religions are trying to take bad people and make them good. Like, you know, uh, in, in the, the Hindu religion, it's like all about karma. Like, uh, you're going to get what you do, you know, if you sow this, whatever. Your goodness affects what your next life or your next incarnation or whatever they happen to believe. And Islam, they're trying to, if you do so many good things or you don't do these bad things or whatever they consider good. Well, my goodness, uh, they called Jesus good teacher. And he said, there is none good but God. Why? Because he's saying all goodness. He's saying God will define goodness. Thank you very much. Because some religions say goodness is killing the infidels, right? That is not goodness. So God will define goodness. And God is the only one that where goodness originates. And goodness comes from God himself. And so Jesus did not die to make bad people good. So he's not waiting for you to be good enough or to, to, to not do uh, so many bad things so that he'll like you, accept you, and invite you in. No, Jesus died to make dead people live. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I have come that you might have the life of God. In other words, uh, what kind of life does God have? Do you think God gets up every morning and says, man, I feel guilty for what I did yesterday? Do you think God feels shame for how he acts? No, God came, Jesus came, that we could have a life free from shame, that we no longer have shame dictating to us what we will and will not do, what we will and will not say. The genesis of this actually is in the book of Genesis, coincidentally enough. So Genesis chapter 3, and Genesis, I thought that was funny, okay. Uh, so Genesis chapter 3, and Genesis chapter 3, we have the story of the fall of mankind, right? And so, you know, you can eat of every tree in the garden, uh, except this one tree, uh, the knowledge of good and evil. And then what happened? Well, the devil came. Oh, I, I, I'm going to have to turn there. I was not going to turn there, but I got, I got a, a pricked. Okay, so Genesis chapter 3. That's what it was. Thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. Man, like in the beginning of the sermon, this was stirring in my heart, and I'm like, where was that? I don't know where that was. And then as soon as I read this, then I, it came back to me. So, praise the Lord. All right, we're not doing this alone. We're not going to live for ourselves any longer. All right? Um, verse 13 of chapter 3, And the Lord said to the woman, What is this that you have done? This is after uh, she ate of the, of the fruit, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam she gave to Adam, and he also did eat. You know, he was right there when she ate. I don't know what he was doing. Probably thinking, boy, I'd like to try that. You go first. Okay. All right. The Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, it's not my fault. She said, the serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Do you know what that means? When she said the serpent beguiled, what beguiled means? Literally, it means the serpent, listen here to the danger for every one of us, right? The serpent lifted me up with pride and caused me to forget what you have said. 
I'm going to say that again. The serpent beguiled me and I did eat. Literally, it means the serpent lifted me up with pride. You know, pride, one of my favorite definitions of pride is to show yourself above other people, right? Pride has to show itself above. You want to know if somebody's operating in pride? Well, what they're saying are those words trying to get you to see uh, them above you, right? Okay, so the serpent lifted me up with pride and caused me to forget. So you enter into that realm of pride, you're going to forget what God said because you, you, your pride is of the devil. And he's like a master at pride. In fact, he said the reason he fell was he was so beautiful and made such um, magnificent worship sound that he said, you know what, I'm going to arise above the stars of God. I'm going to be like God, and I'm actually going to put myself above God. The ultimate statement of pride. And the Bible says, he fell like lightning to the earth. <laughs> <clears throat> and so what happened? Well, <clears throat> you know, when they ate the food, verse 6, the woman saw the tree that was good for food, that was pleasant to the eyes, a tree desired to make one wise. She took it, he took the fruit of it rather, and ate it, and also gave to her husband with her. See, he's with her. And he did eat. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They knew that they were naked. How did they know they were naked? I had that question. I'm trying to figure out, like, well, what difference does it make? You know, like, it's a husband and wife, and they're both naked. Big deal. Right? I'm like... Were they like, were they, like they knew they were naked, but why would that bring shame and embarrassment? Why would that bring shame and embarrassment? I mean, like maybe because like the bears were looking at them naked or maybe the giraffes were looking at them naked. Like they could try to hide behind a tree, but the giraffe's over the tree. So, hey, honey, that giraffe can see me naked. Well, God's the creator. So like, what about God's name? You know what? As soon as they ate of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they lost the perspective of God. And they got a natural perspective. They actually got a fallen perspective. It's interesting. I remember Paul, I think over where we were just reading, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. And Paul said, um, it's in my Bible somewhere. Okay. Uh, and Paul said, I thought I had that right there. Praise the Lord. Uh, well, maybe it's over in Romans, actually. Paul said um, that I was alive without, yes, yeah, in Romans, I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and what? I died. Just like Adam and Eve, I died. He's talking about when he, in natural human growth, reached the age of accountability. Because before that, you ever know a little baby that's like embarrassed of being naked? No, but you'll notice children, they tend to reach this age where all of a sudden they, they, they realize they're naked. They look and they see that they're naked. They begin to see with a different perspective. And so Jesus came to give us God's perspective back, that we're not so conscious of natural failings, natural weaknesses, that the shame that the devil would put on us or our own actions uh, yielding to the devil caused, to come, uh, caused us to live in. Jesus came to remove that shame. He came to give us life. He came 
that we might have life and have it more abundantly. In other words, that we would rise from the dead. I believe it's over in Romans where it says that Jesus came and took our death so that we could take his life, that we would really have life. Uh, uh, Daisy Osborne, T.L.'s wife, she preached a message, uh, you can probably find it on the internet or whatever, called Never Too Dead for a Resurrection, right? So many people, so many times you can find yourself dead while you're living, dead while you're living. Look at Adam and Eve. They, they were living. They were walking on the earth. They were doing things. But that shame that they had from sinning and uh, changing their nature to the nature of a fallen world system and the nature of the devil, that shame caused them to run and hide and caused them to cover up. And that produces uh, a life that is lived under the consciousness that you're a mess up, that you're not worthy, that you, 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 shouldn't, you don't belong in the things of God, that other people are more holy. Other people, you know, holiness, honestly, is just separated unto God for the work of God, dedicated to the work of God, okay? And the way you get holiness and the way you get righteousness is by becoming born again and becoming a child of God. You don't produce righteousness, you become righteousness. You don't produce it by doing enough good things. Religion, pretty much every religion, including if you want to call it the Christian religion, we're not called to become part of a Christian religion. We're called to become part of the family of God, to get a relationship with God that causes us to be His sons and His daughters. And as His sons and His daughters, we have the same nature He has. Like you may see uh, human sons and daughters of people and say, well, they kind of act like so-and-so. They act like their mom. They act like their dad. Well, we're designed and you are designed to act like your father in heaven. That the nature that you have will actually cause uh, a release from the chains that the devil himself would put on you. But that only comes when you don't live by the natural, but you live by the unseen. In other words, my faith is placed in Jesus Christ, and on His righteousness alone I stand. In other words, the things that He did, all the rightness that He accomplished for us, took the shame off of us. You know, when He was on the cross, uh, over in Romans chapter 4, verse 25, Romans chapter 4, verse 25 says, and the Amplified, who was betrayed and put to death, because of our misdeeds and was raised to secure our justification or you could say our acquittal, uh, making our account balance and absolving us from all guilt before God. New Living says, He was handed over to die because of our sins. He was raised to life to make us right with God. He was raised to life to make us right with God. In other words, Him... That's Jesus, who didn't know any sin. He had never sinned, and he did not know sin. Yet he died on the cross because of sin. Whose sin? The sins of the whole world were placed on him. Not just the people living then, not just, just the people living today, but the past, present, and future sins of those in the world were placed on Jesus on the cross on that day. He, him who knew no sin was made to be sin for us. Why? In other words, the implication is we knew sin. 
uh, we were conscious of these things and we had done these things. But Jesus, that's why I love looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. If I be lifted up, Jesus said in John chapter 12, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. So when you see him lifted up, don't just think, wow, what's on, why is he on that cross? What's on him on that cross? Delve into it. I'll tell you what's on him on that cross. Your sins and my sins. Your failures, my failures. Your sickness and my sickness. Your disease, my disease. Your lack of provision and my lack of provision. He took it to the cross. My shame and your shame, he took to the cross. And on that cross, he stands there or, or hung there naked and shame all over him so that your shame would not have to dominate you, that your shame could be wiped away and your slate wiped clean, that you don't come to God as one that is shameful, but you come as one that the life of God has wiped the shame away, that the life that he lived. And then Romans 4.25 there says that what happened is he took that shame on the cross and then he died. And when he died, he said, my God, my God, right before he died, why have you forsaken me? Why he, that separation from God that Adam and Eve experienced, that we all experience uh, when we miss God, the sin, our sins separate us from God, that that shame and that distance and that separation he experienced on that cross, all that sin that he didn't do was on him. He took your place. Like the eternal universal court said, you know what? There is a verdict of guilty, and it is falling because what I have done and because what you have done. And Jesus stepped in, and he said, okay, I see that, and I recognize that, and I acknowledge that. But did you know that there is one that can take away the sins of the world? And it is the one that has no sin. So therefore, I qualify to take it away. So he took those sins on himself, and he took that shame for those sins on himself and he took that separation from God on himself and he went to hell and he paid the penalty not only on the cross but in hell and when the claims of justice were done fulfilled Romans 425 says lest you think I'm just making this up Romans 425 says I believe it's in um, uh, the literal translation says as soon as we were declared righteous, he rose from the dead. He was raised from the dead. So the thing that caused him to raise from the dead was that the price was paid in full. Like, like I think the Amplified that I just read said that uh, our acquittal making our account balance. In other words, choo, wiped out. Taken away from us so that we could be made right with God. Romans 5.18, message translation. Here it is in a nutshell. Just as one person did it wrong and got us into all this trouble with sin and death. Have you ever been felt like you're that person? <laughs> oh, Lord, I got all these people in all this trouble, right? Well, just turn to Jesus. 
you got in the trouble because you turned to yourself and tried to do it your own way. So don't continue in the same pattern. That's what I'm talking about earlier, the devil. He's going to like try and steal, kill, and destroy. He's going to take the mistake that you made and then make you feel guilty for the mistake and then try to get that guilt that you feel, that shame that you feel. Now you're going to try and cover the mistake like Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves and uh, you know um, found themselves with this great consciousness that they had messed up. And then because of that consciousness they messed up, that caused them to do more mess ups. In other words, it's like a domino effect. No, the second you realize you turn to him, you, you, you go boldly to the throne. Lord, Lord, I messed up. I'm not proud of it because I don't do pride, right? But I know Jesus, he is merciful. And I know you, you are merciful because Jesus said, I came to show what you're like, Father. And so I see in Jesus that you are full of mercy. That, that like Jesus said to that woman that was taken in the very act of adultery, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more, right? So we can turn in the midst of our failure and we're in the atmosphere is dripping with unworthiness, we can turn to the worthy Lamb of God and say, you know what? All the more so, because I have failed, Jesus bought me out of this. This shame that I feel, this act that I committed, Jesus took it off me. He lifted it off. He took the shame himself so I didn't have to have it. And if the price that God paid with the life of his son and Jesus paid with his own life and his own suffering, I'm not going to despise that price. I'm not going to say, no, my, sh my sin and my shame is greater than what Jesus could ever take. I'm going to honor what he did and I'm going to receive his mercy. And I'm going to receive his grace and his goodness. And I'm going to be set free by it, right? Okay, so here, in, here it is in a nutshell. Just as one person died, did it wrong, and got us all into trouble with sin and death, another person, that's Jesus, did it right and got us out of it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. But more than just getting us out of trouble... He got us into life. <laughs> so we're not, just, we're not just someone who got out of trouble. Some people, you know, religion will tell you, you are a forgiven sinner. But that is not what the Bible declares of children of God. The Bible actually says all your sins have been removed from you. They're no longer a part of you. If you go back into your spiritual past, you cannot find the sins that you have committed. They are not held to your account. The, the most just court that exists with the most pure, righteous judge, God himself and Jesus, his son, has declared you not guilty. It's been taken care of. There is no higher court to appeal to for the devil to appeal to. The court that he tries to appeal to is the, is the court of the unrenewed mind and the realm of the emotions to try and get someone. Will someone please believe me even though I'm a liar? No, God has set you free. Don't live any longer under that yoke of bondage. Don't be yoked up with that bondage. Don't be yoked up with that sin. Don't live as a sinner because you're not a sinner. You are a saint of God himself, created 
through Jesus Christ and through what Jesus Christ has done. We have been made new creatures. Your slate has been wiped clean. If you ever wish, I wish I could go back, make some different decisions, do some different things. Well, you know what? You're not going to go back and become like 12 again. But what happens is your slate is wiped clean and it's like you never did it. In fact, it doesn't exist. It, it, it's, it's far out of the realm of existence as God has the power to expunge it and take it away. How much faith do you have in God? How powerful is God? Actually, the Bible says that He is all-powerful. All power is of Him and from Him and through Him. So, apparently, He has the power. Hallelujah. He's set us free. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is not dead, but that your word is alive, that your word is the resurrection and the life, that your word is the only pathway that we have to come out of the dead and out of death into life. Father, I thank you for life out of death. Father, I thank you that the seed of our life planted in the ground of, ground of your family produces an abundant life and an abundant harvest, that it's no longer we that live. No, uh, we're not sustaining ourselves, but the life, your life flows in us and through us and sustains us and revives us and gives us light and glory and ability. I thank you in the name of Jesus. Now, uh, everyone right now, just with your hearts and an attitude uh, of yieldedness to God, I want to talk to you if you're listening today or you're watching today and you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. Do you know what? God loves you so much that He sent Jesus, but that is not an automatic thing for you to receive that He died for you, that He died for me, that doesn't happen automatically because, yes, God is good and everything He does is good, but God is also just. And God will not force anyone to become part of His family and to receive all of the goodness that He is and that He has. You, but you have to invite Jesus into your heart. The Bible says, as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to be the children of God. If the Bible says that, that means that He must be received. You must, like Jesus told the, the, the Pharisee, the ruler of the law, Nicodemus, in John chapter 3, He said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus is trying to figure out, okay, well, how do I do this? What do I need to do? I've done all this, and, and you know, how, how do I access heaven? I've done this, and I've I'm, I'm actually been pretty good at it. What do I need to do? And Jesus is saying, no, 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 you're, you're going the wrong path, wrong direction. You must be born again, or you must be raised from the dead, right? You must have a new life. New life must come into you, and uh, that life comes through Jesus Christ. And Romans, we're talking in Romans chapter 4, that Jesus, when he was on the cross, that on him was placed our sins and our habits of sin, our, our, our nature of sin, you could say, that we have a nature uh, before we're born again, that our nature actually is from the devil and our nature is unrenewed and our nature is not redeemed because we're not redeemed. And so that nature was put on Christ and the acts of sin that we committed that we're aware of and that we're not aware of, those were placed on Him. Uh, the Bible says the iniquity of us all was placed on Him or the nature and pattern that we would have that we continually do the wrong thing and mess up was placed on Him. Him. Isn't that good news? It was taken off us. It was placed on Him. And then in Romans chapter 10, 
we learn that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You're believing that when God raised him from the dead, like Romans 4 says, that he was raised from the dead once we were declared right with him. He was raised from the dead at that point. And so we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord. In other words, I'm not living for myself anymore. I'm going to live for Jesus. Believe in my heart that God raised from the dead. I will be saved. So I want you right now, I want you to look to your heart, not your mind, not the things that you've done, but I want you to listen, listen with the ears of your heart, the real you, you know, the, the place that you would ask your friend or your husband or wife to forgive you from, if you really mean it, the really mean it place, the inside of you. I want you to look right there. You know, Psalm 107 says, some of you wandered in the desert looking but not finding for a good place to live. Maybe you have looked and looked and looked and you've tried to find fulfillment and life in all kinds of things, in drugs, in alcohol, in prestige, in power, in uh, other people, in what friends you have, and what kind of house you have, and what kind of car you drive. You'll never find it there. Maybe you've wandered for years in the desert looking for, but not finding a place to live. Half starved, and parched with thirst. Maybe you're staggering and stumbling and on the brink of exhaustion. Then, in your desperate condition, you cry out to God. You come to Jesus because He is the only thing in the end that will actually satisfy you. Those things may satisfy for a moment, but they are so shallow. It's like they say, beauty is only skin deep. But this goes to the center of who you are, who you've been created to be. God has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for you. He has love for you. But you will never come in contact with that until you come in contact with His Son, Jesus Christ. I want you right now, I want you to decide, and I want you to make a decision that you're going to live for God, that you're going to give your life to Jesus, that you're going to give your life into the family of God. And I want you, in three seconds, I want you to make that decision, and then we're going to pray. Three, two, one. All right, you've made that decision. Now let's pray. And I want you to pray. I want you to repeat after me and agree from your heart, the real you. I want you to agree from your heart with what you're going to say with your mouth as you repeat after me. Say this. Say, oh God, I'm coming to you right now by the blood of your son Jesus because of what he did in taking the sins from me and that evil nature from me. I believe that you rose him from the dead And I take him right now as my Lord and as my Savior. Thank you that I have just been made new, reborn from above. Thank you that you love me enough to send Jesus. I love you. Thank you for bringing me into your family making me your child. In Jesus' name, amen.